Well, this morning we're, we're moving to the, the last part of John's Gospel that we're looking at, actually, in this sermon series. And we're moving to chapter 7, and we, we've come away from that really long part where, actually, it's all been talking about Jesus as the bread of life. And now we're in part of John's Gospel that takes place at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of the Tabernacles was probably the most popular of the Old Testament festivals. People would crowd into Jerusalem. It was a big celebration for seven days as people celebrated all that God had done during the Exodus in terms of provision. And there was lamp lighting ceremonies, there was water ceremonies, and it was a big time of celebration. So that's the backdrop to the reading that we're reading this morning. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, we're on page 1012. I'm reading John chapter 7, verses 25 And I'm actually going to go down to 44, so not as it says on there, but down to 44 to the end of that section. At this point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, When the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go, that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Let's just pray briefly again, shall we? Lord, open our hearts to receive from you, we pray. Lord, may the Spirit do a work in us afresh this morning. Help us to to want to receive what, what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's been rather a lot on the news this week new leader for the Conservative Party and a new Prime Minister. 
new leader for the Labour Party. There's all the Brexit negotiations that are going to start happening, and Neto is closing. <laughs> Did you miss that this week, or have you heard that, that tragic news? Well, I mean, the, the saddest part for me is that's about a third of my sermon illustrations gone out the window. I'll have to start thinking about something else to talk about. But actually, Neto is closing because Sainsbury's have pulled the plug on it. They want to focus on Argos, which they've just bought, instead of Neto. But all we hear is what the Warrington Guardian tells us. Neto is closing. Neto is closing. And we're in emotional turmoil. <laughs> you know, so often we see things on the small scale, don't we? We see just what is going on on the ground, and we forget, actually, there is a much bigger picture of things happening, often that we know absolutely nothing about. And sometimes we're very glad that we know nothing about it. And as we've gone through John's Gospel, what we so often see is the crowds miss the big picture stuff. They just get focused in on bits of detail. And what happens at the first, of the first part of this passage, before we get to those amazing words that are on the screen, like anyone who is thirsty, it's a conversation about misunderstandings and people going back and to with Jesus and not really getting what he's talking about. And the first part of the conversation is really to do with worship. Look at verse 25 and 26. Isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? Then you get that very strange bit where they say, well, we know where Jesus comes from, but we won't know where the Messiah comes from. I don't know if you notice the contradiction at the end of the passage, where they said, actually, the Messiah will come from Bethlehem and he'll be part of the line of David. So they should have known where the Messiah was from. And then Jesus blows their questioning wide open. He says, I am not here on my own authority, It's God's authority. And then the bit that get the crowd really, really upset. He says, and he's talking about God here, you do not know him. You do not know him. Imagine the audacity of that statement. You know, Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is all set in Jerusalem. You're in the place of temple worship, the place where real encounter with God would take place, the place where atonement for sins was taking place as Jesus was speaking. And he said, amidst all this stuff and all this worship, you do not know him. You do not know him. You know, the trappings of God are never enough. The sacrifices of the Old Testament were never what God was after. The prophets, time and time again, called the people back to relationship with God, not thinking that somehow the trappings of worship are what God is about. You know, and today, if, if, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, and actually what you're about is the trappings of worship, and, you know, it's all about the songs that we sing and the words that we use, that, that is not what God is after. Yes, they're useful. Yes, they may bless us, and they bless God. But they're not ultimately what God is after. So we get the next bit of the conversation. This is all about signs. When the Messiah comes, he will, perform more, will he perform more signs than this man? All the way through, each of the four Gospels, signs and wonders accompany the ministry of the Gospel. As the kingdom is proclaimed, signs and wonders accompany it. Jesus heals the sick. People who are blind start to see. People who are deaf start to hear. People are freed from demons. Water is turned into wine. Food at the feeding of the 5,000 goes from a, a tiny little basket to this enormous amount of food that will feed all these people. Signs and wonders accompany the gospel. And signs are really the external evidence that God has come amongst his people, that the kingdom of God is here. 
in the New Testament, it's really impossible to separate the signs of the kingdom from the kingdom of God itself. They're just all part of the same thing. The beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark 1, verse 15. The first declaration of the gospel in this, um, this particular account. It says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus starts preaching, the good news has come. But we're not just to measure it by outward signs. That isn't the the way that we we see what God is doing. You know, like if you look up in the sky and there's an aeroplane flying over, you see the vapor trail, don't you? You see the evidence of the plane, but that is not the important thing about the plane. You can't have one without the other, but it's not the important thing. So it is with the signs of the kingdom that we find in the Gospels. Intrinsic part of the Gospel message, but it's not the thing. So we're going to another brief conversation. This time, it's about understanding. Verse 33. Jesus says, Then I am going to the one who sent me. Now we read this, post-resurrection, post-ascension, and we know that Jesus went back to be with his Heavenly Father. The people at this point knew none of that. So they start asking questions. Is he going to visit the Greeks? Is he going to go around all these Jews who live scattered around the Roman Empire and start preaching to them? Is that what he's on about? What happens is we get a really human response to a spiritual declaration. You know, we can't measure what God is doing simply by our ability to understand it. We can't measure what God is doing by our ability to understand it. I think I've mentioned before, but our elder son, Timothy, is really quite good at maths. I don't know where he gets that from. It's certainly not from me. And I don't think it's from Claire either. He must have skipped a generation or something. But we were in Lidl um, last Saturday. You must think all I do is go around bargain shops. I do have more of a life than that. But we were in Lidl, and we were buying food for the, the youth barbecue that we had at our house last Sunday night. And I was buying hot dog rolls. And they only had seven packs of these hot dog rolls left, so I thought, I'll just buy the lot. So I said to Tim, there's six in a pack, there are seven um, packs of these things. Now, I went to school at a time when we weren't really taught tables. Anyone else in that era? No. Yes. Same sort of age bracket, I think. Am I safe to say that? (laughs) I was at school at a time when we didn't learn them by rote. So I don't know my times tables by rote, and I'm not going to start doing it now. So seven times six, it doesn't just come like that. I have to work it out. So what's the answer? 42. I was convinced it was 48. (laughs) Absolutely convinced. So I got Timothy to say, what is the answer to this? And he goes, 42. Just straight off his head. Straight off like that. Well, you see, the fact that I didn't understand the answer straight off didn't mean that the answer had changed. It just meant that I was misunderstanding. It's very easy to do that with God. To think that because we misunderstand, somehow God has changed. But actually, what happens at the end of these, this sort of dialogue with Jesus? You get a crowd. Some of them are confused. Some of them are angry. Some of them are misunderstanding. Some of them are believing. But then what John does is he says that Jesus comes in and he starts to teach, actually, what is the important thing here? What is the main point of this passage? Faith in Jesus is not about the trappings of worship. It's not about how many signs of the kingdom we see. It's not even about whether we understand everything. But it's about thirsting after Jesus. It's about wanting Jesus in our life. It's about longing after him. Verse 37. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Anyone. 
who is thirsty. Everybody who I've ever met and got to know in any kind of sort of deeper way thirsts after things. Now, obviously, we thirst after food and drink. You know, let's just put those on one side for a bit. But we thirst after all kinds of different stuff in life. We can thirst after material things, you know, a better car or a better house or better shoes or better clothes or whatever it might be. We can thirst after things like a better job or better status. Or we may be thirsting after a relationship or or friends or whatever it might be. We can start thirsting after an unknown future. I don't know if you ever find yourself doing that, longing that something would happen that would walk us forward into something else. Or we can even start thirsting backwards and start desiring a past that was better than our present reality. There seems to be a desire in all of us that doesn't want to actually stand still. And it's a desire that drove Adam and Eve in the garden to do what they shouldn't have done. They didn't want to stand still. They wanted more. They were thirsting. And it was that same thirst that Satan used to tempt Jesus himself in the desert. As he was in the wilderness, what did Satan say? You can have all this stuff. You can have it now if you just bow down and worship me. But what Jesus is doing here is he's talking about the thirst in the right direction. There is only one way that we can thirst as human beings that will be satisfied in a way that is complete. And he goes right the way back to the Old Testament. You know, we can thirst after all those other things. We can thirst after what isn't, what won't be, what might be, or what has been. But none of it ultimately will satisfy us. Only Jesus, through the anointing of the Spirit, will satisfy us. So Jesus says, when he's talking about, and the Scripture says, we go right back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And it goes on to talk about why spend money on stuff that won't satisfy? Why get involved in things that actually will run out of steam? And then we go to Zechariah, perhaps not as well known these verses. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. And then a bit later on. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the Dead Sea and half of it to the west, to the Mediterranean Sea, in summer and winter. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be only one Lord and his, the only name. In Israel, today, as it was in Jesus' day, water is very precious. Water wasn't something like we have it, and we have far too much of it most of the time. And so the idea, the imagery of streams of living water was the imagery of something that was totally life-giving, something that you couldn't live without. And Jesus picks on these words about life-giving water, and he applies them at a time when people in this festival were thinking about water anyway. And look what he says. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you thirsty this morning? And the rain came right on cue. (laughs) Are you thirsty this morning? Do you long after God? Do you long for more of the Holy Spirit in your life? I'm not asking whether you're thirsty for trappings of worship. I'm not asking whether you're thirsty for more signs and wonders. I'm not asking if you're thirsty for more knowledge of God. Not that any of those things are wrong. But are you thirsty for more of Jesus in your life? Do you desire him? 
Do you long for him? Do you wait for him? Do you seek after him? We live in a world, don't we, where everything is so instant, apart from coffee, which seems to be going in the other direction. But if I step back and I think what life was like a few years ago, do you remember dial-up broadband? You know, you sat at your computer and you, you could send an email and it would take the same length of time as the post. I would find that really difficult to live with now because we're used to that instant kind of life, aren't we? You know, if I go into McDonald's with the boys for a, for a meal and I was told by the assistant that I'm sorry, you'll have to wait for three days while our beef matures, I'd be thinking, goodness me, what is going on here? We want that instantness of life. Instant stuff is something that seems to happen more and more. Well, I was at um, a meeting this week, and somebody was talking about a book that they'd, they'd just been reading, a book that had just been published. And it was about the early church. And it was about the first 300 years of the Christian church, and just looking what made the early church grow. And they were saying, actually, one thing that the early church valued that perhaps we've lost, they wrote about it more than anything else. It was patience. Patience. That deep trust in God, to let God do things in his time and not to hurry things along. Because when we're patient, we're not in a rush. We can, we can take the time to thirst. We can take the time to seek the Lord. Patience means we're able to work out on God's timing, not our own. It takes away our need for hurry and control. But what the psalmist says, I was patient while I waited for the Lord. Patient while I waited for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry for help. The psalmists will speak time and time again, won't they, after thirsting after God, longing after God, you know, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. We could go through loads of scriptures with that kind of message in them. But those who seek the Spirit, we need to realize that we're thirsty first. We need to realize that we're thirsty. I don't know if you've ever had one of those really busy days where you rush around doing all kinds of things, and you suddenly realize you've not had a drink for ages. And you wonder, why have I got a headache? Ah, because I've not drunk anything for seven hours or whatever it might be. And then you need to stop and have a big drink of water. But it's not until you're actually patient and stop and think and reflect that you realize you're thirsty. So easy as a Christian to just keep plowing on and on and on and on and actually not wait, not be patient, and not realize our thirst before God. But this is a statement here with a promise. Don't know if you noticed it was a promise. The thirst after Jesus will be fulfilled. When we long after Christ, then the Spirit will flow from within us. Now, how amazing is that? Not just flowing into us, but flowing out from us into the world around. So I want to ask us another question this morning. Does Jesus' description of the life of the believer reflect your experience as a Christian today? Do you feel that the promise of Jesus here is being lived out in your life? Well, if not, why not? Because I have to be honest, in my life, a lot of the time it isn't. If not, why not? Well, I'm going to take you on a bit of a tour for the next few minutes. And we're going to go down a tour of the River Jordan. Because the River Jordan is probably the river that sprang to people's minds when Jesus was speaking about water and living waters. And it's really the only major river system in that part of the world. So unless you traveled hundreds of miles away, you'd have known no other river than the River Jordan and the streams that go into it. It's 156 miles long, 
It starts up in the mountains and ends up in the Dead Sea. Jesus was baptized in it. Here it is near its source. Has anyone been there, by the way? I can't even... Yeah, a few people. Now, that water looks amazing. It looks refreshing. It's clear. It looks like the kind of water I would want to just jump into and, and swim in. That is the promise of what the Spirit will do when we thirst. That we will get the streams of living water. That um, we will, they will gush down from within us. It's the picture of when the Spirit works in us, flowing out from us. We become gospel people, kingdom people. People whose living and loving is shaped by the Holy Spirit. The power of transformation, equipped with gifts and growing fruit. The river continues. You see it there. It's much bigger further down. But it's still strong. It's still flowing. It's still moving forward. That's where Jesus wants us. That's the promise. Two images. Different places, but that's the promise. When we thirst and we long after God. But you know, sadly, we're not always there, are we? Sadly, we end up being in different places. Sadly, we end up further downstream. But actually, at this point, if we're there, we receive the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in these verses, is is very clearly described as proceeding from Jesus. The creeds, the beliefs of the church from the early days have said that the Holy Spirit comes from both the Father and from the Son. The Spirit enables us to be part of Jesus' ministry. He takes residence in us. He seals us. He rebirths us. And he will always, always, always seek to glorify Jesus. Always. You know, there are times when I've perhaps experienced it in my own life, and I think the Spirit's been doing something, and actually, it doesn't glorify Jesus. Well, I'm afraid I've got it wrong. If we do the same, I'm afraid, in the politest possible way, you would have it wrong as well. If the Spirit isn't glorifying Jesus, whatever we think the Spirit is, that's not it. The Spirit will always glorify Jesus. But this river flows down, and eventually it ends up in the Sea of Galilee. Now, in the Sea of Galilee, the water is still, and for the most part, it's fairly tame. You see it there? It's organized. It's in a lake. It's flat. It's still water. It's still relatively clean, as far as I'm aware but it's held back. Now, I wonder how often in our Christian walk we end up being held back. We have lost that vibrancy of what the Spirit can do in us. We have lost that sense that the Spirit is working through us in a powerful way. I was at Lim Dam yesterday afternoon, just after the rain stopped, and all of the streams were just gushing down with water, water everywhere. But actually, the surface of the dam was still fairly tame. It was still flat. There was no power, actually, in the water of the dam. I just wonder how many of us have actually become a bit like that. And we just need to ask the Lord for us to thirst again and let the living water flow so people can see Jesus, so that we can then demonstrate Jesus to the world. We see the River Jordan is a a river that today is under a lot of pressure. People want drinking water. There's water needed to grow food and all kinds of things. I remember that picture of the river beforehand. It was powerful, it was big, it was strong. The end of Galilee, there's a dam, and it's reduced to that. It's nothing, is it? Just a little trickle. But then, to be honest, it gets even worse. Rather than clean water, an open sewer pours into the River Jordan, and that's what the river looks like. It becomes polluted. It becomes dirty. Nothing lives in it. 
it becomes dead. It just reminded me, actually, how often in our Christian life, if we stop thirsting after the springs and the streams of living water, we will still quench our thirst. It will just be on other stuff. And sin can pollute our lives. The wrong type of thirsting will come in, and it will bring stuff into our lives that just wreak havoc. Now, we might not literally become foul-smelling, but that's actually what our Christian walk will be. We'll be like that kind of river. But you know, not all is lost. If you're there today and you think, actually, that's me, spiritually, that's where I am. We need to remember that Jesus died for us. That Jesus came to free us. Jesus came to bring the new start. Remember that verse from Zechariah 3, verse 1? On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and iniquity. We do not have to live like that. We do not have to live like that. We see this river carries on. It's got a lot more flowing to do to get down to the Dead Sea, but it's not very nice by now. There it is, heading into the Dead Sea. Anybody been down there? Yeah, a few hands going up. That's it, close up. It's not very nice, is it? There's nothing like the amount of water that should be there. The springs that are miles away have all been blocked and used for other things. And all that is left there is a, is a sort of mixture of chemicals and sewage that flows down into the Dead Sea. And it's dead. And it ends up in the wrong place. The springs are 156 miles back upstream and have long since been forgotten. Now, I don't know whether there's anybody here today and you're actually in that position. You know, you used to be a place where actually God was doing stuff in your life and there was vibrancy and there was freshness. But actually, you've allowed the pollution to carry on and you've just come into a place where everything has gone terribly wrong. You're in the Dead Sea, spiritually, if you like. The place where nothing can live because it's so salty. But Jesus calls us back. He calls us back to the springs. And he says, actually, I can refresh you. If you will just come back in repentance and faith, you can be back, not there, not there, not there, not there, but there and there. It's a promise. It's not a vague hope. It's a promise. It's not something that might just happen. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, I find that sometimes when life starts to get down these kind of ways, I get symptoms in my life. And sometimes um, it's worth recognizing in our own individual lives what those kind of symptoms are, that we're thirsting after the wrong stuff. My symptoms are things like I start to buy things. I don't know if anyone finds themselves ever doing that. Not things I really need or particularly even want, but I, I start to want things. And actually, I'm starting to think, actually, I'm looking for, I'm thirsting after other stuff. I'm thirsting after things that, they're not, they may not be bad things necessarily, but they're stuff that actually Jesus wouldn't want me to have. And I start to become inwardly obsessed. You know, Claire will testify to that. Don't ask her afterwards. Please don't ask her afterwards. But I start thinking so much more about myself than I do about anybody else. And I start thirsting after, after something that's deep within me rather than thirsting after Jesus. You will have your own symptoms. We're all different. We're, we all thirst in different ways. But it's worth knowing what they are because then you can redirect it to Jesus. Jesus says thirst. Long and the spirit that has now been given because Jesus has been glorified and the spirit has come at Pentecost and has been poured out on the church ever since will quench us and satisfy us.
As the church, as individual Christians, we are called to be a spirit-filled, spirit-enabled, Jesus-thirsting community. You know, the New Testament knows of absolutely no other way to be a Christian. This is not an optional extra that we tag on. This is what it means. This is what being a Christian is. We are sealed, rebirthed, empowered, and equipped by the Holy Spirit. Do you want Jesus' description in this passage to be a description of you? That the streams of living water are flowing. Because it's a promise. It's a promise. All we need to do is thirst and come to Jesus. Not a vague possibility. It's not something that might happen. If we believe Jesus, it's something he says will happen. Let's just spend a few moments in quiet. And then I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen that I'm going to ask us to pray. Lord Jesus, in the stillness, in the quietness, I just want to pray that you'll give us a deep thirsting and longing after you this morning. I also want to pray that you'll help to give us patience. Help us not to be seeking after you for some quick fix experience, but for a lifestyle and a life journey of discipleship that reflects you and impacts our world for the kingdom. Lord, I want to thank you for the promises of your word. I want to thank you that when your spirit comes into our lives that you you do transform us. You make us into different people. You make us in your likeness. Lord, would you do something afresh in our lives today? There's a prayer that's on the, the screen. You may want to follow it as I read it out. If you want to pray it in your own heart, then just do that as we continue in prayer. Lord, you are the living water, and I am parched and dry. I feel thirsty for your presence and a longing to be with you. You can make water flow from the rock, streams to flow in the desert. You can make the living waters flow in my life. I come to you thirsty, knowing that in you I will be refreshed. Leave that on the the screen for a few moments. I've just asked the the music team if they'd come back up. Let's read those words through again. Perhaps you want to pray them in your own heart.
Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on us this morning?